Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. We are going to take a look at the fourth command. It's the final command of the passage that we are studying together here. The theme is more Christ. And I hope that the things that we have been looking at in this passage has been uh, challenging so much for you that you want more Christ too. That is what Paul is expressing to us. And it's uh, quite a bit different than just the uh, average way people go about things they call their Christian walk today. Many times we are easily distracted from spending time with Christ, uh, learning more of Christ. Our first command was keep on rejoicing because it's easy to lose focus in our day and age, isn't it? Especially if you're the one that turns on the news every morning to start your day. It's not easy <laughs> to start the day and say, I'm going to keep on rejoicing. And yet, that's a command we're called to do. That's a challenge. Because the rejoicing is not just rejoicing, it's rejoicing in the Lord. So we need more of Christ. So we know who are we rejoicing in. We've learned as well where to keep bewaring. There's a lot of challenges to walking the Christian life. Paul would tell you well about that, uh, studying his life. But the challenges are there. And I sometimes think that uh, they're only going to increase. That the promise of Scripture is that as the days get closer to the end, they're going to become harder. And we as believers ought to know that. We ought to be able to understand what it is that opposes us and why it opposes us. It wants to strike fear in your heart to keep you from Christ. And we're told to keep on bewaring, but that doesn't stop our rejoicing, does it? We do them simultaneously. The third thing we crossed here in this chapter, that was verse 1 and 2, verse 17, is the third command of keep on becoming, becoming. And Paul has expressed all the way through here the example he has set for us. And uh, he wants us not just to hear his mentality, but to join in, to grow in, his, in your desire for Christ like he expressed his desire for Christ, where everything else is but rubbish, but to know Christ. That's quite a high calling, isn't it? And an enormous calling for us. And in that, we are to keep on becoming, 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 more like those who want only Christ. That will take your lifetime, folks. But it is a journey you ought to be on. You ought to be desiring that and growing in that. And that's what the becoming is all about. It is seeing the example and following it. And it's very similar to some degree to our very final command. And who might tell us what the title is? Keep on what? Beholding. Somebody's been keeping notes. Keep on beholding. Verse number 17 is where we go today. It says, the first half, brethren, join in following my example. The second half, 
And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. There's a little bit of a twist here that's very significant, and I'm going to walk us through this passage today, and I hope again challenge us for an appetite for more Christ. Heavenly Father, help us today. We have a passage in front of us that really does shake us all the way down to our core. It makes us uh, contemplate deeply our love for you and our love to know you more. This passage speaks of our Savior. And what one man, the Apostle Paul, was willing to give up just to follow him. And his appetite was not satisfied until he stepped into glory. And I pray, Lord, you give us a unquenchable appetite as well for the things of Christ. May we grow and grow and grow and want more. And so today, as we study again, help us with this passage, we pray. And use it mightily in our life, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Quite a number of years ago, back some 30 or so years ago, my wife and I were part of a wonderful Bible church in Portage, Indiana. And uh, we loved that church. We were just... We weren't anything in ministry, so to speak. Well, we did help with the youth group here and there and stuff like that. Helped with the Wana clubs and such. But we enjoyed the fellowship, much like what we see here. Uh, we enjoyed the pastor and his teaching. And it was challenging us. It was, it was our home. It was our home. And uh, it was about that time that the Lord was uh, working in my heart to continue my education and to go on to school, and, and I was being pushed by a couple of, really a couple of elderly ladies came in there and told me, you need to go back to school, you need to be in ministry, you know, and that kind of a thing. And, uh, you know, when they start praying about that, you're in trouble, you got to go. So, anyway, uh, we decided that um, we were going to follow behind where our pastor had gone to school, a school in Birmingham, Alabama called Southeastern Bible College. He talks about it every single week. Surely it must be the most wonderful thing on earth. So we decided, okay, uh, we'll head down that way and finish up some of the schooling I needed to do. And we met with the pastor and we said to the pastor, uh, the only thing we're, we're really sad about is that we're leaving our church. And what are we going to do when we get there? We're not going to have this church with us. So you live down there. Where would you tell us we should go? Give us a, a church to go to, like this church, so we can find it. And he looked at us and said, you will not find a church like ours there. And we were so disappointed. We thought, you've got to be kidding me. Really? And he says, no, there, there isn't a church like ours down there. And uh, he says, but that's okay. Take our church with you. What you learn here, do there. Because they need to see it too. And I thought, what great advice that was. I never considered that before. That I was somehow a, a missionary of our own church going into a place that didn't have it. We plugged into a little independent church because we thought that sounded safe. Um, found out it was an interesting mix of people who had no idea what they were doing. 
their doctrinal statement. Here, just to give you a feel for it, there were Southern Methodists, Southern Presbyterian, United Presbyterian, Episcopalians, and uh, a few that had, I have no idea what their roots were. They had all joined together to form this church, called it independent because they couldn't agree on a name. They could not agree on a doctrinal statement, so they had Southeastern Bible College write one for them, and they just signed it. They had no idea what it said, what it meant. Uh, and they're plugging along, and we decided, well, let's go into this church and see if we can help. They needed help with the kids. And so we did that ministry for just a few months before the church split. The pastor left, and they looked at me and said, you went to Bible college, you be the pastor. And so that's my introduction to ministry. We went down there just to, first our thought was to find a church like ours. But the Lord turned that completely around and said, nope, you're going to take what you've learned and take it to people who don't know what that is. And that changed my ministry. That changed my life. When we start talking about this passage in Philippians 3, verse 17, that picture comes to my mind especially because right there, if you're, if you're reading, for example, the King James Version of verse 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so that as you have us for an example. The, this fourth command we're going to look at has to do with that phrase, mark them. Mark them. Remember, when we're talking about these four commands in Philippians, you're not given multiple choice here. You don't get to pick the one you like the best to do. They're not ranked according to importance. They're not suggestions. They're not optional. If you truly have a heart's desire for more of Christ, these are the things that you're called to. You are called to be joyful in the Lord. Always. That's going to take discipline, isn't it? That means you've got to spend more time thinking about Christ if you're going to be rejoicing in Him. Probably more thinking than we do right now. We're to be bewaring because there's a lot of things that will try to keep you from that. And you to be aware of that. You're, you're to keep on becoming, as he says, be followers together with me. You're to join in and become a follower. Become one. Growing constantly. If you're a, be a follower now, keep becoming a follower. Grow in it. And those appeals are before us, but this one still is keep on marking or keep on beholding. And you don't stop the other three to do this. Understand that? We're not even walking up staircases like once I got this one, I'll move on to the next one. These are four simultaneous, all-the-time commands. You're going to be tired. You tired now? This passage calls for everything in you. Honestly, it does. It's that kind of an appeal. And so, don't look at any of these like, well, I'm going to work on the first one, and when I get that down pretty good, I think I'll attempt the second one. That's not the way it's been addressed to us. It is all for all the time. 
all four all the time. We have to keep doing this. We have to. And that's a lot of activity, I know. But I remind you of something I said several weeks ago. Another principle taught in this very same book in chapter 4, and you know it's in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ. You take him out of there and forget the rest of the verse because you can't do it. Because you can do it in Christ. You say, I can't, I can't do this. Well, Pastor, it's in Christ. It's in Christ. And you learn that verse, verse 13. You learn it more and more and more the more you learn of Christ. And really, your theology ought to come down to that simple thing. I need more Christ. I need more Christ. So, command number four today in verse 17 shows us the importance, and let me say it carefully, right, of following those who set a good example for us of following Christ. Heroes are not a bad thing. Our world is very tied up in heroes in a lot of different ways. We in the Christian walk need Christians to set examples for us. And I think we all would agree that we've been disappointed over the years with some, haven't we? We've seen their ministries, we've seen their books, we've read them, we own them, we things like that. We thought them to be godly individuals and yet later proved to have some sort of secret sin about them. Later revealed, many times the newspapers just love that. And it goes right up to the front where everyone can see it. Um, the world never hesitates, by the way, to show the failures of the church. They never hesitate. But still, this command is before you, and I want you to think about it seriously. Our command is to follow those who have blazed a godly pattern before us. Understanding still that we as human beings, <laughs> we are carrying a sin nature, right? We know that. We understand that nobody on this planet is perfect. The only one who ever walked here was Jesus Christ, and he was perfect. The rest of us have failures. The rest of us have problems. The rest of us, even as Christians, are growing, and that's what we're all doing. We're supposed to be doing that. But also, we're supposed to be to the place in our spiritual walk where we can be an example to others on how to do it. On how to do it. I want to develop this for you. Let's back up into its context. Chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, be followers together with me. I love that the way that says that. Join in following my example. And mark them which walk so. Observe them who walk this way, according to the pattern you have in us. I use the word beholding here, and I'm going to tell you why in just a minute. But let's go to the subject first. In a sentence, there's always a subject, and the subject here again is you. It's part of the verb, it's part of the command. You, and it's plural. Southern Greek is y'all. Alright? It's talking to everybody. Not some elite group in the church. 
not just some special, I mean, this is for elders only, or this is for teachers only, or this is for, you know, those, those four or five that get together and they have something that nobody else has and their appetite's so good, and you just say, wow, I'll never be like them. This is for everybody. Everybody. In the context, he calls them brethren, which is our word similar to Christian. For us, it's the believers, those who believe in Jesus Christ. Originally, those in Philippi. But we have no trouble putting ourselves in this context because the New Testament was given to us to learn from too. It's plural. I'm going to emphasize that over and over and over again because nobody is excluded here. All right? I can look all around the room and I say, you're in that story. You're in this story too. Nobody's excluded here. All believers are under this command. All of us. And you say, okay, what is it? Bring it, bring it to me. Scapeo is the word. We use the word scope from it. It looks like it. S-K-O-P-E-O. Scapeo. Scope. It's the word they use for a uh, sentry or a scout who went out to explore and find out what the enemy was all about. <laughs> that was their job. They scoped. They spied. They kept their eyes on things. They, they not, and you know, it was more than just, oh yeah, I saw, I saw a guy out there in the woods. Right? They wanted to know why he was out in the woods and what kind of weapons did he carry with him and everything else. They investigated thoroughly, but at a distance. They watched. They watched. They watched. You understand the concept of that kind of a scout. That was their job. And so taking that word into our meaning today is more than just seeing somebody, but they used it for regarding as well, or to consider something seriously, to take heed, to look at it intently, to understand what you see. And so the King James uses the word, mark that man. Mark that man. Mark him. Set him in your mind. Now you say, well, where does beholding come from this? Well, I, I needed a B. It's the only way my outline was going to work. I needed a B. And so I went, actually, in Old English, beholding. And I said, oh, there's a good word. That's what it was years and years ago they actually used such a word. The word by is the first two letters, B-I, which means thoroughly. Going through, all the way through, and holding is to hold something, to retain it, to maintain it, to grip it tight, beholding. And it's funny how we read it in Scripture. Behold! And they don't just mean be startled. What they mean is, look at it carefully. This is important, right? That word we see in Scripture a lot. But this is just not the simple looking at something. It's the idea of holding on to what you see. Gripping it. Writing it down. Knowing it well. It's very interesting in the New Testament how Paul uses that same concept and that same word in context of sinful behavior too. Romans 16, verse 17. He beseeches you, brethren, to mark them. That's, again, look at them as if they were enemies. 
who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine, to the teaching which you have learned. You are to mark them, he told the Romans. Now, it'd be kind of nice if we could do it quite the way that I think it'd be very graphic. If somebody's causing divisions or acting contrary to the doctrines, we have a little label for them when they come in the door. Stick it on their forehead or something. Would that be pretty obvious? They're wearing some sort of a sign to say, keep away from this guy or be away, beware of this gal. They're, they call divisiveness. They, they're walking contrary to Scripture. Would you like that system? Maybe not. People in our day and age, they wouldn't like that, would it? You don't label people. But that's the idea. Mark them. Mark them so that you see them. And you learn from that. You, you avoid them, he actually says, because they've been so marked. So that's used negatively in Scripture. But it's also used positively where you're concerned about good practices and positive influences. And when you look at this command, where he tells us to behold, behold, it is a command. This isn't something you just think about once in a while. As I said, it's not a suggestion and it's not optional. And it's not subject to your opinion. It's written to all believers, so none of us are exempt. No one's excluded. Everybody's expected to obey. This is intentional stuff. Continually be beholding what? Let's find out. Because I have to do this. I have to do it all the time. I've got to keep on beholding. I've got to keep on observing. Keep on taking heed. I don't want to quit. I can't quit. It seems hard. I don't quit. This isn't easy. But I'll tell you what the dangers are before I tell you what the call is to do here. Here's our danger, and it, tell me if it's uh, true in our day and age. Apathy? Oh, I think we got a problem there. Apathy? Shifting allegiances. You know, you can root for the Cubs for a long time. But every now and then you want to root for somebody who's going to win the World Series. So uh, we have people who jump off that wagon once in a while just to root for another team just because their player hits 700 home runs or something like that. We think, well, they might win. Who knows? But the Cubs are always there to fall back. You know, have you ever noticed that theologically, even in church settings, shifting allegiances, fads, Follow this, follow that, keep up with this. We have the fad that went through. What would Jesus do? You still have their bumper stickers on your car? You still wearing the little bracelet, WWJD? No? Huh. All right. Shifting allegiances. Here's another problem that we face in days like ours. Let's choose the easiest way. Let's choose the easiest way. It could be anything. I mean, it could be anything from uh, how you want to worship, what you want to do in worship, how you want to live your Christian life. Oh, make it easy. The world says, give it easy. I've got so much to do. Make it easy. Make it easy. And then we get on a passage like this in, in Philippians 3, and this isn't easy. 
And there will be people who, who will fight against this and say, this is not easy. This is hard. And so the shift is easily away from it because we, we prefer that. It is not easy in our world to find an example that is Christ-like. Do you know that? It is not easy to find examples that we can learn from that set before us a wonderful display of what Paul's describing here in Philippians 3 as one who is sold out for Christ completely. It's not easy. I'm not saying that impossible. It's not easy to find people like that. And you may say, then, then, then why the command? Because I'm going to say it this way. If you can't find the example, be the example. Because our world needs it. Our world needs people to walk like they ought to walk. Our world, if you haven't noticed, is made up of followers. Lots and lots and lots of followers. We give them different terms like friends on Facebook, right? People who follow behind you. I'm at 299. I might have a party for the 300th, all right? I don't know. But we have followers all over, following sports figures, followers of movie stars, followers of political people. You go on Facebook, you go on Twitter, you go on the website, you got to find out how to make a pie, you, you crochet things, whatever. I mean, we have lots of, of leaders that we call in this department, that, that, but most of us are followers. Most of us are. Here's something nice I want to tell you about the verb you're about to discover. The way Paul says it is keep on beholding. That implies that you've already started. And by nature you have. You just maybe didn't know it. You have been learning for years. You're not getting forced to start. He's calling you to keep on. Keep on. Keep on beholding what? What is it? He says right here in the passage in verse 17, those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Those who walk. Peripateo, one of my favorite Greek words because I love saying it. Peripateo. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Sounds like a potato meal of some kind. Peripateo. Peteo is the word to walk. And peri, around, like parameter. This is how they walk around. This is how they walk around. It's used in more than just uh, um, the way they traverse, where they, their feet actually go. But it's used in a bigger sense of one's behavior. More times than not, the King James uses the word conversation here. And he's not talking about your words. They're talking about the, uh, how they live, how they act. Because more times than not, it's the actions we see more than the words we hear. If you just follow somebody for their words, you're going to be very disappointed at times when you find out their life. He's talking about the whole of, of a person, how they walk around, how they walk around. Would you like somebody to do a study on you? How you walk around, how you spend your day? In your actions? Boy, that'd be a challenge, wouldn't it? How many of us would submit to such a thing? 
Do you know people are watching you right now? How you walk around? How you walk around? You know, it could be your grandkids. Do you know that? It could be your neighbors. It could be people at work that you work with. But the fact is that you're leaving a trail. And Paul says, this is important. You're talking about somebody's behavior here. How they habitually walk. And you need to learn from those who walk, as it says, according to the pattern you have in us. An example has been set. Now, Paul, all the way through this chapter, has been setting the example. And you say, okay, that's Paul. Everybody expects that of Paul. But here's what he said. Listen to it carefully. Listen to the words. The pattern you have in us. Was there somebody besides Paul? Well, his co-workers, they were all models of how to live more Christ. There were more that considered that the, the flesh can be detrimental to their goal in Christ. The heart of this chapter is Paul's mentality and his desire to know more and more and more of Christ. He wanted more to know, more to follow, more to share. He wanted Christ. But Paul had also influenced his co-workers. People like Silas. I can't tell you a lot about Silas. I can tell you some things about Silas. But I do know one thing from Paul's comment. He said an example of somebody who wanted more Christ. We have men like Luke. Everybody knows his profession, right? He was a vet, right? No, he was a doctor. Okay, we know he was called a physician here. Do you know that that man lived in such a way... That people looked at him and wanted more Christ? You don't know much about Luke, but Paul just said a big thing about him. He said a pattern. There's people like that that Paul said, Mark them, behold them, keep watching them, how they walk around, how they walk around, and match it. Follow their example. Study from them. Learn from them. Follow them. Here's what Paul actually said in several places. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I begot you to the gospel. And then he goes to say in the next verse, 4, 16, 1 Corinthians 4, 16. Wherefore I beg you, be followers of me. He said, ooh, that's audacious. <laughs> Paul standing up and saying, be a follower of me? He says, yeah, yeah, because I'm following Christ. Follow me. He says, the next verse, 417. That's why I'm sending Timothy to you. Huh? He says, follow me, so I'm going to send you Timothy. Why? What's Timothy going to do if he says, follow me? He says, because he is not only my beloved son, he's faithful in the Lord, And he will bring you to remembrance of my ways. Wow! If you wanted to learn of Paul, follow Timothy around. You would learn of Paul. But if you wanted to learn what they were both about, they were both about Christ. And that's how bold he can say this when he sends it to the church. He says, I tell every church the same thing. 
Look at Timothy. Look at Timothy. That's why I'm sending him. Because he will remind you of the way I lived. I think that's neat. I think that's really fun. When somebody long ago, years ago, has passed on, and their children are in the church or something like that, and everybody looks at their children, and they say, you know, he's just like his father. We have characteristics that we learn from our family. I would love to have that ever said of me, that I was like my father. Because he set an example that I, I relish to be like that. And that kind of thing, Paul says, here, Timothy, he follows me. So, be a follower of me as I follow Christ, but also follow those who walk in such a way that you have in us as an example. Follow them too. This pattern to follow. This pattern to follow. Are you looking for anybody like that? Do you, do you look for people who walk like Christ and say, I want to be like that? I want to learn from that? You say, well, I haven't thought about that. Think about it this way too. And I'll remind you this several times. Somebody's looking at you right now. Somebody's looking at you right now. Would they find Christ in the way you walked? Are you an example that they would say, yeah, I could follow that? Because that's the one place where we can take Philippians chapter 3 and live it out in the year 2022. We can be the example we've learned of here, followed here, so that we can set it for others. So that we can live it out for others. That's what we're called to do. We need a pattern to follow. Our day and age needs patterns set before them. How many people do you know personally who set the example of Christ dominant in their life? How many people do you know like that? How many people look at you personally to set the example of Christ dominant in your life for them? For them to learn from? For them to see? You know, Paul addresses something very interesting in verse 18, and I'm not going to just skip it. Because he says, there are many, many who set the bad example. There are many, he says, who walk, same word, walk, of whom I often told you, and now I tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Many continuously, habitually walk as if they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul says, even as I write this, I weep. He uses the Greek word wail. That's pretty intense. He says, I, I, I look at the lives of other examples around me. And he says, they're enemies of the cross. You can tell a man's allegiance to Christ by how he embraces the cross. The enemy uses the word hate. They hate. Paul's not hesitant to say concerning himself that I might know him and the power of his resurrection 
and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to his death. Paul says, nothing more than I want to know is the depth of that cross. And yet we live in a world that's running away from it as fast as they can. Their end is destruction, verse 19 says. That's ruin. It's waste. They wasted their life. They ruined their testimony. Their God is their belly. What a phrase. (laughs) That cavity inside of them is what's leading them. That's what they worship. That hollow place on the inside. Terrible sounding. Their glory is their shame. Their disgrace. They constantly, continually exercise their mind on worldly things, on earthly things. What a nice example, wouldn't you say? They hate the message of the cross. They call it a sacrifice. They don't like it. They project to be ruined in the end. And what else do they hold on to in the end if they don't have Christ? They worship their stomach. Here's a quote for you. Sensuality in food, drink, and sex, then as now masters some men. These men pose as Christians and glory in their shame. 1930, A.T. Robertson wrote those words. I wonder what he would write today. They constantly think on worldly things. Do you know what that got? How that carried the world? A world wrapped up with people who only think of worldly things and themselves. God saw the wickedness of man on the earth, it says, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And what followed that verse? The flood. That was Genesis chapter 6. I think we've actually perfected the imaginations of evil thinking in our day and age. Paul says, that's not us. That's not us. To make a clear distinction, that's not us. Verse 20, for our, our, look at it, this is great. For our citizenship is where? In heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to change us. He's going to change our humble state. Transform the body of our humble state. So it can be fashioned or conformed to the body of His glory. Folks, do you see this picture? This is real simple. I want you to understand this. The reason the appeal is for you to desire more Christ is because when you get to heaven, guess who you're going to look like? Christ. Guess who your attitude's going to match? Christ! Guess what your love's going to look like? His! Guess what? You can start working on that right now. Becoming more like Christ now. Maybe they don't have to work so hard in transforming us on the way up. If we're looking more like Him now. But He says He's going to transform us by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to himself. That is not a maybe. That is not a maybe. That's going to happen. And this was Paul setting before you here. He says, if we're going to be that different, 
let's be that different now. If our, if our uh, citizenship is in heaven, let's act like citizens of heaven now. If we're going to be on this earth, let's be different. Let's be different. They hate the message of the cross. Paul clung to it. What about you? They projected to be ruined at the end. Paul anticipates to be conformed to the image of Christ at the end. What about you? They worship their stomachs. Paul serves God in his service and puts no confidence in the flesh. What about us? They constantly think on worldly things. And Paul constantly thought on Christ. And more Christ. What about us? Who is your model? Who are you beholding? Is anyone beholding you? What example are you setting before them? You say, but you know, I have such a pattern in me, I doubt that I could ever change. Then you didn't look very carefully again at verse number 21, did you? Who's going to change you? Christ will. Is he able to? Oh, yes, he is. That's what the beauty of this whole passage is. You say, this isn't a calling for me. It's too big for me. I can't do this. Okay, you got that part right. You can't. He can. Do you want more of Christ? Let him also give you the appetite for it. Let him also give you the strength for it. Let him do the changing. Let him dominate your life. Give to Him. Give to Him. Because He subdues all things. That means He can change you too. And He can change me. He can give you that desire to know Him more. If you're sitting here today and say, I I don't know if I have even the desire. Ask Him for it. Do you think He will hesitate to answer that one? You say, "I, I don't know if I could follow Him better. Ask Him. I don't know if I could love Him more. Ask him. I don't know if I can serve him better. Ask him. Because the first step in more Christ is Christ. Do you want him? You want to grow? You want to be different? Keep on rejoicing. Keep on bewaring. Keep on becoming. Keep on beholding. The four commands set before us will change you forever. They'll change your life right now if you follow after Christ in this way. I just appeal that way. When I read the passage, I say, let's get started. <laughs> let's get started. If we if we're moved this far, let's go deeper still. Let's move more, further, like Christ. Heavenly Father, give us this appetite, I pray. Work in our hearts and drive us to this. We are surrounded by so much around us. Fear, apathy, Seeking the easiest route. Losing our focus. Shifting our allegiance. Assuming that the journey is just too long. It's just too hard. We have a thousand excuses. But Lord, I pray you take them away. And give us an appetite for Christ. More Christ. More Christ, we pray. 
Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for giving us a challenge of this nature. May we all grab hold of it and follow after it, we pray. And Lord, on top of all that, may we be good examples to others who need it too. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.